0: Few of us in this room look at our prayer lives as something that we are absolutely proud of and would be happy to share with other people. I mean, imagine if there was an app for prayer like there is for running. Have you seen Run Keeper, this app that will keep you running and post it to social media? What if there was one of those for prayer? And you checked Facebook and he said, Oh, look, David prayed for 30 seconds today. That's exciting. Something big must be going on in his life. Well, for most of us, when we look over our prayer lives, we see fits and starts. We see 30 seconds here. We see distraction here. We see falling asleep there. We're, we're kind of disappointed with our own prayer lives. And if that is true of you, as it is true of me, watch Jesus this morning. Let's watch Jesus this morning. You know, sometimes when you're wrestling with a title, it just hits you like lightning from heaven. And you feel like the title is inspired. Inspired. And then there are some days you just go with snakes on a plane. Today is one of those snakes on a plane kind of day. The title of this sermon is Jesus Praise. And there's only two points to this sermon. You could have written this sermon yourself and saved yourself a drive to taps, but you didn't. And so the two points of this sermon are watch Jesus and follow Jesus. Okay, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to watch Jesus and follow Jesus. If you didn't have the privilege of growing up in Galilee 2,000 years ago and knew Jesus personally, that's okay. We have 89 chapters to watch our Savior live his life. And so this morning, we're going to watch Jesus. Now, isn't it amazing that the Son of God, the one who dwelled with the Father in perfect unity, as John said from, from the Nicene Creed that we just read, For eternity past, and is going to dwell at the right hand of God the Father for all eternity to come. And when he was on earth, he knew perfectly the mind and the will of God. Isn't it astonishing that the Son of God carves out gobs and gobs of time to spend with the Father? Jesus prays again and again and again. I preached earlier on Jesus as a type A strategist. He raises support, he scours maps, he seizes opportunities. We need to balance that Jesus... With a Jesus who carves out a bunch of time in his schedule to spend with his heavenly father. When Jesus is in a flurry of mission activity, Luke 5, he sets aside time to pray. When Jesus hears that his dearly respected partner in ministry, John the Baptist, is executed in Matthew 14, he retreats to pray. When there are a few meager hours standing between Jesus and his trial in Mark 14... He goes to the garden and he prays. Whether it's sadness or suffering or joy or ministry or decision-making, Jesus prays. Jesus sees his father as someone for whom he can hoist all of his burdens and all of his emotions and all of his fears on his father. One of the most important ministries of the son is to teach you and I what it looks like to be a son. That's one of the most important ministries of the son is to teach us how to move, how to act, how to think, how to talk, how to walk as a son and daughter of the living God. That's what Jesus is showing us what it looks like. Well, when we get to Jesus in verse 12 here, he's in a lot of trouble. His ministry has just started. We're only in Luke chapter 6. And he is already on the rocks. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong in Jesus's three-year earthly ministry. I mean, we preached on Jesus's first sermon in Nazareth. He gets to preach in a synagogue to people he had grown up with and known his entire life. And when he has done that sermon and done speaking with that crowd, they grab this boy that they watched grow up and knew his mom and knew his dad and know his brothers and sisters. And they take him to the brow of a hill and they try to throw him off and kill him. Can you imagine? I mean, I I think back to the first time I preached the sermon, and it was rough, but it didn't quite end that way. Thank God. Um, Word begins to spread about Jesus, and so crowds begin to gather around him, and they bring sick, and they bring poor, and they bring people who need healing, and Jesus is constantly surrounded, and he's constantly moving on from the place where he is and leaving people behind. And so what you can read between the lines there is Jesus is disappointing a lot of people. Jesus is leaving a town and leaving behind sick people who aren't going to be healed by Jesus. So this is beginning to create white noise in Jesus's ministry. He's letting down a lot of people. And then there is this growing conflict with religious leaders. He's made them angry because he forgave a paralytic. He made them angry because his disciples and him went to a party with tax collectors and sinners. He made them angry on two different Sabbaths because they picked grain. And then because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And that last episode ends with a sinister note. Right before our verse in verse 11, it says, but they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do with Jesus. Do you know that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach When you're in conflict with somebody, you know what I'm talking about? You just, even if you're in the right, you just feel awful and it's hard to eat. It's hard to sleep. If we imagine anything about the humanity of Jesus, we must understand that Jesus had to learn how to live life with that feeling in the pit of his stomach with not being able to eat three square meals a day, with not being able to sleep a sound night's sleep every night, because there is conflict and there is pressure and there is disappointment surrounding him. I think when Jesus goes to pray in verse 12, he's praying about the men he's going to choose, the 12 men who are going to go from disciple to apostle. I think he's also praying about a world of conflict that surrounds him and weighs on him. Friend, watch Jesus pray. Watch him take these things to the Father. Jesus is going to say this about prayer. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That's what Jesus is going to teach us about prayer. But how does Jesus know that the Father knows our every need? How does he know that the Father is trustworthy to keep our cares? How does he know that the Father's hands are big enough to hold our deepest pain, our most shameful confession that we will make to him, our suffocating fears? How does Jesus know that? Jesus tested the hands of the Father, Jesus tested his Father's hands. There's a scene from my growing up years that, outside of Washington, D.C. that doesn't often happen in the South, and that is enjoying snow days. And what we would do on snow days, sometimes it would snow so bad and things were so frozen over that my dad would have the day off of work. And he would take my brother and sister and I, and we would go to a park or a playground, and we'd play in the snow, and we'd find a river or a pond that we could slide around on. And, of course, before we got onto any pond, my dad would do this every single time. He would walk out first and he would test the ice. He would test his weight on it. He'd go further out and test to make sure this ice would hold us. If it's okay, we'd all go and play. You know, I never really thought about that much as a child, but what a beautiful picture of the role of a father going at his own risk before us and testing the weight of the ice at his personal expense to make sure that it will hold for his kids, that we could enjoy it with him. That is what Jesus is doing in Luke 6, 12. He is walking square out to the middle of the pond with his fear and his struggle and his stress and his anxiety. And he is jumping up and down on the ice and he is testing his father's hands. Can these hands hold the fears that I bring to it? Jesus can say with confidence. When I lost a dear friend and partner in ministry, John the Baptist, and I was surrounded by thousands of people, but I felt utterly alone. I put the weight of that grief on my father and it held. Jesus tested his father's hands. Jesus can say from this passage, when I was sick with conflict, when I had enormous decisions to make, I lifted that anxiety and I placed it in my father's hands and it held Jesus tested the father's hands. He says with confidence for your father knows what you need before he, you ask him because he tested it and found it to be true. If so. We follow jesus we've watched him and we follow him if this were a generic sermon on prayer and what to do about prayer We'd flip to a bunch of proof texts on prayer We'd read them and then I would sucker punch you into praying more And I bet after today We'd have more prayer next week than we did last week because we would feel so guilty about our prayer lives because all of them are lacking But that's not what we're doing here today We've watched Jesus go before him. We've watched him walk to the center of the frozen pond and jump up and down. And now he turns to us and he beckons us and says, it holds. Come with me. The father's hands hold what you desire. Come with me and pray. And so verse 12 says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. We're going to unpack this a little bit. You have a place here, which is the mountain. You have a time, which is all night. And you have a person to God. And we're going to understand what this looks like for us. First of all, the place, the mountain. The most undistracted man to ever live found the need to get away from distractions to pray. Jesus had to remove himself from clutter and distractions to pray. So what does our place of prayer look like if Jesus chose his so carefully? What does this look like for us? Well, Jesus is able to get out in nature, and that happens again and again in Scripture. Do not dismiss the power of this. Anytime you read in your Bibles, if you live in South Carolina, about choosing mountains as a place of prayer, you just replace that with swamps. So that's kind of our, you know, uh, context that we're here in South Carolina. But don't dismiss the power of getting away to pray. Put something like this on your calendar and saying I am getting away from columbia I'm going to the Congaree swamp. I'm bringing my bible I'm bringing six cans of bug spray and i'm going to set aside an hour two hours three hours to pray and listen to the father Don't dismiss that But every other day of the week we are fighting with this clutter to find Space to spend with the father Most of that is just logistics. We need to learn the power of Logistics Turning off our phone when we're getting ready to pray, putting all of our Apple products out of reach, closing the door, finding an uncluttered space to pray. What does that look like for you? For some of us, that could mean showing up to work 20 minutes early. The office is empty. Nothing's going on. That, that could be our time for prayer. For some of us who are nursing moms, that means just adding a minute to the shower we take once a week. That's going to be our time for prayer. For some of us, if we're students, that means, God forbid, waking up before our roommates do. Or staying in a class that empties out after the professor is done. How do we set aside that time to pray, that space that we need to pray in? The point is, an uncluttered space is not going to find you. You've got to find it. You've got to fight to find an uncluttered space to pray, but it's important. Now, you can reduce all the clutter that's around you, but you cannot reduce the clutter in your mind. If you're like me, anytime you set about praying, a world of clutter fills your mind and you begin to think about, I've got to do this today. I haven't done this. Did I clean the house? Did I turn off the oven? Did I pay the water bill? What about so-and-so? Have I returned this phone call? And the clutter comes into your mind. That's why you're praying. Bring that clutter to jesus make the clutter your prayer request Do you think jesus left verse 11 and stepped into verse 12 and went out to the mountain to pray and said i'm going to do the acts Acronym adoration confession. Thanksgiving"? No He said, oh my goodness. The world is pressed in against me These men are trying to kill me. That is what I am bringing to the father right now Bring your distraction and your clutter to the father and then do the AX acronym. It's a beautiful thing. But make your distractions your prayer requests. So then we hear about his time. Jesus prays all night. Now we get to see a bunch of different kinds of prayer in the Bible for Jesus. Sometimes his prayer is a few words, sometimes it's a sentence, and sometimes he gets away and sets aside an entire night to pray. Now, if you're thinking about kind of jumping into a a life of prayer, I would no sooner call you to to set aside tonight as an all-night prayer night than I would to tell you to wake up tomorrow and run a marathon. It takes spiritual discipline and exercise to get to this point. And I know for myself, I'm the strongest when I make resolutions for spiritual disciplines. And I am the weakest three days into that resolution I made. I mean, I'm the first to make this color-coded prayer flip chart journal for myself. I don't even know what that is. But start something like that. And then, you know, three days later, I've abandoned it and I'm not doing it. I can't tell you how many people in my Christian life have said, you should really try to memorize one verse a week one verse of scripture a week, and I scoff at that because I think that's beneath me. And I say, man, I'm going, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Ten verses a day, I'm going to tackle it. This is going to be amazing. And I last for like three days. If I had memorized one verse a week, every week since I became a Christian when I was 18, I would know over 700 verses of scripture. I do not know over 700 verses of scripture. I wish I knew over 700 verses, but I don't. Start small when you're jumping into what it looks like for a life of prayer. I love what my wife, Julia, is doing uh, starting in 2014. Um, She's uh, committing herself when she sits down with her Bible just to set her timer for five minutes and spend five uninterrupted minutes praying and listening to God before she opens her Bible and begins to read her Bible. Isn't that's just a beautiful step into prayer. I'm going to set aside six minutes in case we're praying against each other for something in our house, just so I get the upper hand. Um, but what a beautiful way just to just to step in. You know, uh, I think a life of prayer can kind of feel like trying to get on the merry-go-round. You know, that that contraption at recess, that massive liability that spins around. You're standing on the outside and you're thinking, I I want to do this. I want to be this kind of person, but I don't know how to get on it. And you spend all of recess just watching it go by. I want to give us a very simple homework assignment that lets us stop the merry-go-round and take a step on it. And that is this. All of us, every single person in this room, I want to call us to find a friend this week, this could be somebody from your life group, this could be somebody that disciples you, somebody you disciple, a pastor, a friend, a family member, and tell them two things. I want you to tell them the space that you're going to set aside for prayer and the time that you're going to set aside for prayer. What's your space and your time? Jesus thought about this. I want you to think about this and tell someone. And then I want you to let them ask you about it in a week or so. I want you to allow them to ask you, hey, how's it going? You said you were going to try to get to work a little bit early in the mornings. H- how's that time with Jesus going? Could you do that? I think all of us have an inflated view of our spiritual disciplines. I think some of us might hear this and think, that's beneath me. I have an incredibly amazing prayer time. I don't need to subject myself to talking to somebody about it. But I, I, would, I would guess that we don't have the kind of prayer life that we think we might have and this helps us, no matter how long we've been praying, to say, how am I making this discipline a part of my life? Here's why I'm thrilled to pieces about us doing a homework assignment like this. This is why I'm thrilled for us to think about logistics, think about space, and think about time. It's not because you are going to pick the best space anyone has ever thought of. It's not because you are going to diligently set aside the most time. It's not because you are going to be the best prayerer in Colombia. It's entirely because of who you are going to in prayer. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. You are setting aside time to meet with your heavenly father. That's why we get excited about the discipline of setting aside space and time for prayer. Julie and I have two kids, Judah and Amelie, six and four, and we love to take them on dates. We like to date our kids. We like for one of us to take one kid on a date and just get some time with them, personal time with them. I asked Ami yesterday, she's our four-year-old, if she would go on a fancy date with me where we get dressed up. That's her love language is putting on fancy clothes and going out for dessert. And so I asked her on a date. Now imagine she's four years old and she hears her daddy invite her on a date and she is petrified. She doesn't know what she's going to wear. She doesn't know what we're going to talk about. She doesn't know if the evening is going to flow or not or it's going to be awkward. She's feeling a little blue from some drama at school. And she turns me down. She doesn't go on a date with her own daddy. Can you imagine? I mean, she's missing the entire point. She's thinking all about form and she's missing the forest for the trees. I just want to spend time with her. We can get in our onesie PJs and get a Frosty from Wendy's and sit in the car. I just want to spend time with my daughter Ami. And she misses that. That's the exact same thing we're talking about when we speak about prayer. Beating ourselves up about how little we pray, how bad we are at prayer, how easily distracted we get when we pray, misses the entire point that we have a Heavenly Father who wants us to bring our request to him, wants us to spend time with him, wants us to put all of our heavy burdens on him. We can confess all of this to him. We can share with him even the fact that we are a bad prayer. You can pray about bad praying and put that on the father and his hands will hold those very things. We don't go this alone. Jesus has gone before us. He shows us in the gospel that he goes before us and tests the father's hands and those hands will hold our requests. Friends, brothers and sisters, let's follow Jesus and spend time with our heavenly father. Let me pray together. How fitting to run right to you, heavenly father we've prayed, we've talked about prayer, we've sung about prayer, and now we just get to enjoy being in your presence. Heavenly Father, I plead that you would make us a a people who long to spend time with their Heavenly Father, that that we would be eager to dwell with you, to enjoy your presence, to, to put all of our burdens and our cares on you, because your hands have been tested and they hold. We give this to you in Christ's name. Amen.